build them up to lead the churches in Crete back from an un- unholy lifestyle to a lifestyle that honors Christ. We've been going through uh, chapter 1. Uh, I started out actually in chapter 3 and we've already gone through that. But now we find ourselves in Titus chapter 1 verses 10 through 16 this evening. And in this we see that God reveals what a healthy church looks like. And, and the last time we looked we saw what healthy church leadership looks like. Now Paul is telling Titus what a, an unhealthy church leadership looks like. And the church must be on guard as to who is leading in the church. At the end of the day, there's only two options we can have here. Either we serve Christ or we serve man. And church, may I remind you, our mandate, our goal is to serve Christ. And we must be sure that Christ is the leading authority in the life of the church. So listen as I read from the Word of God this evening. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain. What they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be found, may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable disobedient and unfit for any good work. Let us pray before we dive into this text. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, and what a joy it is to be able to hear your word read aloud publicly. Father, I think of many of our brothers and sisters across the world who are not able to um, have this privilege that we do in our country to be able to publicly stand to have your word read to hear it preached and I ask that you'll be with them and guard them and may they be fruitful I also ask that you'll allow us to be fruitful in our own ministry and God I ask that you'll be with us this evening as we open up your word and dissect precisely what you are telling us today our father our savior we pray to you in the name of Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Before the bombing of Pearl Harbor, many historians tell us that there were many warning signs that were given to the United States military and government that, quite frankly, they failed to heed. The first warning, the day of the bombing, which happened at 7.55 in the morning, occurred at 6.45 in the morning, nearly an hour beforehand. The, these uh, radars picked up these uh, two crafts of the Japanese military moving in, but the officers reported it to the admiral with no caution or warning given to the populace. 
the second one happened at first happened slightly earlier in the morning at 3:20 in the morning when the uh, a ship spotted a Japanese submarine telescope popping up out of the water. They searched for a couple hours, but they couldn't find where it went to. But a few hours later at 6.30, again, over an hour before the attack happened, they spotted the tower. They spotted the uh, Japanese submarine pop up out of the water. They could see the tower. And in fact, the officer who was on deck at that time called to the captain, Captain, come to the deck. Well, the captain responded, you do not command the captain to do what you want. I'm the captain of this ship. You do not command me to do whatever I want. I tell you what to do. The officer responded again, Captain, you need to come up on deck. Again, nothing occurred with this warning. And third, this third warning that occurred, which is possibly the most alarming one that I can think of as if you would research it, in the nor northernmost radar site in Hawaii, there was these two junior officers or junior soldiers who were stationed there, and they noticed on the radar right before they turned it off in the morning at about 7 o'clock in the morning, a huge blip in the radar. They sat there and watched it for a minute to make sure it was accurate, and it came back that there were 183 aircrafts coming towards Hawaii. This was the first wave. Again, they reported it to their commanding officers, and as history tells us, December 7th of 1941 is a day that is in infamy because of the attack that the Japanese did to our own land. Church, there are many warning signs that we could possibly be seeing, witnessing in our days, but may we not be like our military that were stationed in Pearl Harbor. May we heed the warnings of God. And this evening, I want to present to you the three warning signs that God gives of faulty leadership in the church. And this first warning sign of faulty leadership is that the faulty leader is revealed by his improper speech. Notice with me, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for sainful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. So let's dive into this text, just this portion, as we look and to see what are the warning signs that God gives us through his word to recognize what a faulty church leadership looks like. First, they are insubordinate. They don't recognize the authority of God. Paul says it, for there are many who are insubordinate. There are empty talkers, deceivers. But notice, he qualifies where they have come from, especially those of the circumcision party. Now, the circumcision party is the Jewish Christians who are in the island of Crete. They are in there, and they are promoting the Judaism that you must be circumcised to be saved, that you have to follow the law of Moses in order to be saved. 
that yes, Christ did a great work on the cross, but that work is not perfect. It was not complete. You have to do extras. And Paul is saying, these people are insubordinate. They are empty talkers. They are deceivers. Constable, a noted Bible commentator, writes this, their words were only human opinion rather than God's word. I'm going to say that one more time. Their words were only human opinion rather than God's own word. You see, church, anybody who has authority in the church, their authority is only based in the word of God. Their authority is not based on their charismatic abilities. Their authority is not based on how big of a crowd they bring, but their authority is based from the Word of God. They can only go as far as what the Word of God says. If the Word of God says, stand here, they must stand there. And church... I just want to let you guys know, there are many who claim to be leaders in the church. In fact, even this week, there's one supposed Christian leader who has a Ph.D. who said, concerning the LGBTQIA plus community, that the I stands for intersex and that God did not just create two genders. There are multiples of gender, which I responded, created them male and female. Last time I checked, male is one, female is one. One plus one equals what? Two. Thus, the only, only conclusion is that God has only created two genders. What a, what a mess we're in. That, and, and people are flocking to this guy. They're flocking to other people. They are chasing after these deceivers. These people who are insubordinate to the word of God. In fact, this same person claims that the word of God has no authority. We must hold to our own conviction. Church, the authority that the church has is the word of God. And the word of God alone. These leaders in this church were rebels to the precise ideal and origin of what God has planned to the church. That's what insubordinate means. They were rebels. They looked at the authority of God and said, God, we don't care what you say. We have our own way of handling ourselves. Last time I preached, we looked in Titus chapter 1, 5 through 9. And I just want us to read verse 9. In verse 9, Paul tells Titus, this is what you must look for in an elder. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. He's not to waver from that word. He's to hold firm to the word of God. Why? So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. You cannot waver on what the Word of God says. You have to stand firm and be in total agreement with the Word of God. You cannot be a rebel of what God has commanded if you are a leader in the church. 
church, why must that elder, why must a pastor, why must a leader in, within the church hold to such a degree of the authority of the word of God? Because his only authority rests in the word of God. They were deceivers. Do you remember what Christ said? He, he said to Peter, Satan wants to sift you. He even said, you know, Satan wants to come in and deceive even the elect, even those who are believers. Christ said that, that Satan could possibly deceive the believers. And yet, we see that the words of Christ are fulfilled here because Paul says they are deceivers within the church. I can also think of when Paul is going towards Jerusalem before he's arrested and goes to Rome. He's on the outskirts of Ephesus. He calls the Ephesian leaders, the elders, to come out and meet with him. And he tells them, stand on the word of God because I know when I depart from you, vicious wolves will creep into the church and tear the church apart. And then by the time Christ writes his letter to the church of Ephesus in Revelation, you have left your first love. Church, we cannot be so arrogant or so lofty to think that deceivers cannot creep into our own church. Deceivers cannot creep into our own lives and deceive us from what the word of God teaches. What the Word of God promotes. We must stand on the Word of God. We must be called people of the Word. These leaders in this church, they had no respect or no regard for the Word of God. Thus, they had to rely on their own lies to gain that following, to keep that following there. And yet... On this mountain of lies, the church stumbled and, and fell into many deceitful ways. Think of the book of Galatians, Paul's first and, and arguably one of his harshest letters he ever written. Oh, foolish Galatians, have you been so deceived that you no longer regard Christ as the, your way of salvation? Who has bewitched you, O oh Galatians? Church, the Word of God is just that, the Word of God. You cannot allow other people to be insubordinate who are rebels. You can't allow somebody who's an empty talker to come in and deceive you of what the Word of God says. Again, these people were likely the Jewish remnant or the Jewish populace who populated the island of Crete because Paul says they are the circumcision party. They are the ones who are circumcised, which are Jewish people. These leaders were always contending with Paul. When Paul actually made it back to Jerusalem, it is the Judaizers, those of the circumcision party, that actually caused the arrest of Paul. Paul went in, and Titus, being a Gentile, Titus had no regards to be circumcised. The Judaizers said Titus had to be circumcised. 
If you want Titus to serve in the church, he has to be circumcised. If Titus is to be saved, he has to be circumcised. He has to follow the law of Moses. Yet, if you recall, even Peter, again, going back to Galatians, Peter was deceived and, and did not eat pork. He didn't eat the ham, the bacon, or anything like that when the Judaizers came in. But do you recall what happened with Peter right before he went to Cornelius and his household? He had a vision. God said, Peter, go and eat. Peter says, oh, Lord, I, I'm a good standing Jew. I can't eat that pork. I can't eat any, anything unclean. Again, Peter, arise and eat. And all it was sown was that God does not deem anything so unclean that it is not unable for him to save. These Jewish leaders, they did it for themselves. They upset whole families by teaching for sinful gain. They were not in it for the glory of Christ. They were not in it for the edifying of the church. They were not in it for the salvation of souls. No, these leaders in this church, they were only in it for selfish gain. They were, as Christ says, hirelings. They had no care or concern for the sheep. They had no care or concern for the people of God. They only cared about fattening their own wallet. In fact, Paul uses a pretty severe description of these men. Notice in verse 12, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. How would you like that to be your description? That you're a, always a liar. That you're always an evil beast. That you're always a lazy glutton. Yet this is the severe word that Paul uses against these Cretan leaders who are in the church at this time. That Titus is to come in and to remove from their authority and he is to train up proper elders for the church. Although this is a simple generalization of the Cretan people, I still would say it's an alarming one to be condemned under. Yet we see here that these rebels, these rebellious leaders, had no concern for the word of God. They only cared about themselves. That is the first warning sign of faulty leadership. That it is by their improper speech. They were empty talkers. They deceived others. Yet Paul does not end here. He does not say this is the only warning sign that shows us that the leadership of a church is at fault. No, he continues on. Because the second warning sign of a faulty leadership in the church is by their improper teaching. Notice what Paul says, returning to verse 13 here. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and to the commands of people who turn away from the truth. In these two verses, we see precisely the teaching that's going on within the island of Crete. 
And Titus is to rebuke them sharply. He's not to go passively. Now, guys, will you guys quit teaching this false teaching? Now, come on, guys. You know that's not what's going on. No, he's to rebuke them. He's to say, turn away from this wicked ideology that you guys are doing. Turn away from the false teaching. Why? So that they may be found, may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. I want you guys to know, this is not the only warning that the Apostle Paul gives to the people who are under churches. If you will, turn with me to 1 Timothy just a few pages back in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And again, 1 Timothy is just like Titus. They are mirroring each other, except the only difference is, is one is to Timothy, who is to lead a church in Ephesus from their rebellious ways back to honoring Christ. And Titus is turning a whole island back to honoring Christ. But in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes this, As I urged you, when I was going to Macedonia. Remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Again, Timothy was not to be passive. He was to charge them. He was to command them to quit teaching any different doctrine. Again, returning to to the book of Galatians, there is only one gospel. There is only one message of the gospel. There are no two different gospels. And if somebody preaches a different gospel, what does Paul say to them? Let them be anathema, accursed. Nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogy which promotes speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. You see, church, this, what we were looking at here in Titus is just not a one-and-done ordeal of turning the church back from these false teaching and back to the true word of God. No, Paul had to command other, other men to charge other men in churches to go back to the word of God as their foundation and their source of truth. These faulty leaders were bane to the church. They didn't preach the message of the gospel, but they promoted their false teaching to line their own pockets. Yet, Titus and Timothy, and I'd even say us by transmission of the Holy Spirit and pinning these words, we are to rebuke these people sharply. We're to not to give them any foothold to stand on. No, we're to stand on the word of God and says, thus says the Lord. And I want you to know that Titus and Timothy were not the only one, or even Paul were the only ones who had to handle these types of people. If you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 15 and verses 1 through 9, and we'll see what these false teachings of the Judaizers looked like. In Matthew chapter 15, 1, and we'll read to verse 9, we'll see how Jesus himself handles this. 
In this portion of the scripture, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees who added on to the word of God. And listen to what happens. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of elders? You see that right there? Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Not the traditions of the word of God, but the traditions of the elders. For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now to give you an idea, the traditions of the elders is a rabbi would say something, then his student would continue that on, and that would become a tradition. That would become up there with the word of God. It, it would be equal to that of the law of Moses. So that's why these Pharisees are saying, why do your disciples disregard what the elders have said? Because they wash church. Are we breaking the command of God so we can follow our own traditions? Are we allowing our traditions to be by the wayside so we can follow the word of God? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Oh, what a tragedy, church. That these people so honored their traditions of men, what did they do? They made the word of God void. They so platformed the traditions of men that the word of God had no presence within their communities. Church, again, the word of God is the foundation we stand on. Remember what I said at the beginning. There are two options. The traditions of men are Christ. You either go with the traditions of men or you go with Christ. And we must stand guard not just for the sake of this church, but for the sake of our own lives. For our own sake, we must stand guard and make sure that our traditions are not superseding that which the word of God has stated. Christ continues, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Church, we should not so promote a teaching of one certain men that it supersedes that of the word of God. Yes, we can look at other men and their writing of theology and doctrine and allow it to support our own, but our foundation must be found in the word of God alone. To be sound in faith, church, you do not add your own rules. To be sound in faith, you don't add your own regulations. To be found sound in the faith, you do not disregard the word of God. If you want to be found sound in the faith, you embrace that word of God. You love the word of God. You study the word of God. You let the word of God be the saving force around your life. 
To be found sound in faith does not add rules or regulation that God has not commanded. These people, they added these things onto these people to burden them. These were burdens to the people. Do you recall what Christ said? You guys are whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look so beautiful, but on the inside, you're nothing but dead. You're nothing but a rotten corpse. May that not be us today, church. May we not be these insubordinate leaders, these leaders who have created an unhealthy church. Yet, being in a sad state that this church is in, that they were so consumed by these false teaching, Paul did not just say, well, those Cretans can just have their own way. We're done with them. We are completely done with the island of Crete, Titus. We're not going there. You just let the island of Crete do whatever it wants, and wherever it falls, it falls. No, Paul was compassionate for these people. He loved the people of Crete. That's why Titus was sent to the island of Crete. This was... This is a message that God has commanded throughout all ages. When he's speaking of Abraham and the building of the people of Israel, he tells Abraham, through you, all nations will be blessed. And, that, and it comes through the promised seed that is Christ. It is through Christ that all nations will be blessed and that all nations will see the gloriousness of Christ. Yet, even as I spoke on Sunday night in class about Jonah, the message of Jonah was for Jonah to see that God loves all people. May we be like Paul in this scenario. May we have a great abounding love for the people that we do not disregard them because they promote false teaching and people are confused and ensnared by these false teachers, but may we love those people who are ensnared by it. So far we have seen that a faulty leader is revealed by his improper speech, that the faulty leader is revealed by his improper teaching, but lastly here we see that a faulty leader is revealed by improper living. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. These men, they profess to know Christ with their lips. But as we just read in Matthew with, with Christ quoting Isaiah, they professed him with their lips, but their hearts were far from them. They claimed purity, but their action revealed deceit. It revealed that they were despaired. They were destitute of purity. And Paul goes as far as to say, 
they are unfit. They are not qualified for any good work. They are unqualified. Again, knowing the context that Paul is writing to Titus, who is to handle these Cretan leaders who are likely Jewish descendant. Being a Jewish leader, they would know who God is. They would understand the goodness and grace of God. But they chose denial of him in favor of their own flesh. Church, as we look through this, as we see that a faulty leader is revealed by their improper speech, that they're revealed by their improper teaching, and now that they're in, revealed by their improper lifestyle, how they live, we can see that these people were selfish. These people had no desire for God. They only desired for themselves. In fact, a leader who desires selflessness over the call and command of God has placed himself under the banner of uselessness. May that not be us. And church, I shouldn't have to tell you guys, but you guys are well aware, there are many around us today that are revealing themselves just like Paul has stated here. By their improper speech, they're lying, they're deceiving the multitudes by what they teach. Oh, if you have the power of I am, you say, I am good enough. Well, therefore, you're good enough. No. The Bible tells us that there is none good. The only one that's good is Christ, that it is God. Or as Kenny stated this on Sunday morning, they come out and they're dressed as Mario and Luigi and, and all their songs are songs from Mario. Or they come dressed out as Buzz Lightyear or Woody from Toy Story and they sing, Oh, you got a friend in me. Church, that does not honor Christ. What they're effectively telling the world is the Bible, the Word of God, has no use. The Word of God is ineffective for leading people to Christ. The Word of God is void. It, it cannot make you more like Christ. What you got to do is, you, in order to win the world, you got to be just like the world. You got to use worldly means. But as Paul stated in verse 9 in chapter 1 of Titus, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be found able to give instruction to sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Church, if you want to be a leader who stands firm, you've got to stand firm on the word of God. This church, if it's to stand or fall, it must stand on the word of God, and it will stand. Church, the church must be on guard for who is leading the church. In the church, there are two options. It's either Christ or man. And we must be sure that Christ is leading in our church.
And in order for that to happen, we must be under the submission of the Word of God. To briefly review what we've went over of the three warning signs that reveal a faulty church, we see that the faulty leader is revealed by improper speech, that the faulty leader is revealed by improper teaching, and that the uh, faulty leader is, um, is revealed by improper lifestyle, by its improper living. In church, we must stand on guard for the next generation as well. In fact, there's an old story of a king and a clown or his uh, court jester. And the court jester sometimes said some very foolish things. And at one time, he said something so foolish that the king handed him a staff and said, whenever you find someone more foolish than you, hand, them, hand this, him this staff. Well, as time went on, the king fell ill, and he was laying on his deathbed, and he called the family and the court in and said, I am about to leave. I'm going on a journey that I will not return from. And as he's saying his goodbyes, the jester finally gets a chance to speak, and he said, King, tell me, you, you have made preparations when you made political visits to other kingdoms or when you're going out throughout your own kingdom and planning things out you've made plans of where you're going how long you're going to be staying what plans have you made for this journey you're about to take and the king replied i have made no preparations for my journey i'm about to take the jester the court jester handed the staff back to the king and said i have found a fool more foolish than me. Meaning that the king has made no preparation for his future, that he's going to die and there will be no future awaiting him except that of hell. And church today, may we not be so foolish that when we're lying on our deathbeds and we're passing that baton to the next generation, that we have made no preparations for them that we have made no preparations for our own lives. So I challenge you this evening, are we making preparations for future generations? Are we standing on guard to ensure that the church is right with God? Are we standing in line with God today? And may we stand on the word of God today that we may be able to present ourselves as worthy to Christ. Now church, I, may, I want to remind you that in the eyes of God through justification we are already considered right with him. But church, we don't want to go up there doing nothing for Christ on this earth and lose our reward for things that we could have done. May we be found faithful in the eyes of our God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have much to thank you for and God, I ask on behalf of our church and myself that, that I do not fall ensnared by the, the ways of these Cretan leaders that have promoted their false ideas. They have promoted a deceitful tongue. They have improper speech. They promote false teaching. And they live a lifestyle that is detestable to you. I ask that it be said of our own church here that, 
the leaders and the future leaders will be those who stand on the word of God. They don't follow after man's traditions. They are not ensnared by any other thing, but they are totally saturated by the word of God. Father, I ask that you'll be with us as we leave here. May we be a witness for your kingdom, for your name. And may that if we come across somebody who does not know Christ, may we give a testimony of your graciousness to them, that they may come to a saving knowledge of you. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, that I pray. Amen.